0: Please note, there are some very emotional scenes within this podcast that may not be suitable for everyone.
1: It makes me feel scared. What are you scared of? Like, I guess the unknown is like how, how it's gonna you know how it's gonna affect me, how I'm gonna feel. Um, so you're scared for yourself? Yeah, I guess so, a little bit.
0: Hello and welcome to How Did We Get Here, the podcast where me, Claudia Winkleman, and my great friend, Professor Tanya Byron, explore the difficulties people are facing with their nearest and dearest. Tanya talks to people in a special face-to-face session while I'm taking notes from another room. In the break, I asked Tarn why she pulled on particular threads to understand the subject better and learn how her process as a clinical psychologist works. This time, we meet Lydia. She's a single parent with a 15-year-old daughter, Chanel, who is diagnosed with ADHD Age nine. While they are managing the ADHD, Chanel has separation anxiety. And we discover that Lydia has suffered a lot of loss in the past. This has caused her to have her own anxiety and separation issues.
1: Well, I couldn't even go to the toilet on my own a few years ago. Like, literally... I'm looking at where we've got to go to, where we've got to get to mm. up there, mm. and I'm looking at where we've come from. It is going to take hard work and it is going to, you know, probably be quite hurtful. What you are about to hear are key parts of a
0: one-time, unscripted session with a real person. We follow up with our guests after the recording, passing on useful links and contacts, some of which you will find in the programme notes of this episode. Let's go and meet Lydia. Lydia.
1: Hi, good morning. Hello yes, good morning. Hi. Finding you. Hi right, my darling. Thank you so much for coming in. Hi, nice to meet you. You're Lydia? Yes, I am Lydia. Tell me, why are you here? Well, today I am here because I'm, um, well, mostly two major things is obviously to get some amazing advice from um, Professor Tanya. But then also um, I've got a daughter of uh, 15 years old and she's got ADHD and I I found that like obviously going through the whole time when she was younger like you know you get like a lot of support and advice and medications and doctors but when they have to transition from adolescent to almost like adulthood like ADHD doesn't disappear I mean it might get a little bit better but like how do I as a, like a, a single mom yeah. like help her transition with her ADHD um, you know going to live alone like getting a job and stuff like that because like I feel really lost, obviously not the practical stuff, but also like you know the you know g- getting her the confidence to do that because she's always relied on me for everything. How do I prepare her because there's not a lot of support emotionally, you know mentally for um ADhD so that was the one thing, and then the other thing is um she's grown up without a father since the age of two, she's had a lot of anger in her life when she was younger, and now if she doesn't want to know that he's her dad and stuff like that. You know, that is really hard. You've got a lot going on. Yeah. So I don't
0: know enough about ADHD. Of course, uh, Tan does, but how how does it how does it appear? Tell me tell me about your, your girl.
1: So obviously ADHD is attention deficit hyperactive order. So she's she used to be very hyperactive when she was young. Um, things like forgetfulness, um, impulsiveness. She doesn't know how to plan properly. So like you want to teach her to make eggs and she'll like standing there and obviously be, be guiding her and then she'll put the frying pan on and put the stove on and then like the stove's burning on a pan. I'm like, well, oh, where are the eggs? Where's the oil? So it's all that, you know, the pre-things, how you plan. Short-term memory um, – Obviously, at school, she has, uh, you know, her education is, the grades are not as great because of her attention span. Does she have lovely friends? That's also quite a tricky thing. She's got one good friend, uh, she has gone through a lot of bullying since yeah, since we basically came to England. She's been bullied. She had to move schools the beginning of this year because she was threatened to be stabbed by with a knife. So she's had to go through that. She makes friends. She's a good person, good friend but people always class, you know, ADHD kids as being the naughty ones because they don't sit still, they back chat, they're impulsive. So she has struggled with that too. Poor England. girl, she's gone through a lot. Also just she changing has, schools at 15 is
0: a stress.
1: Yeah, she's gone through a lot. I'm, I'm actually very proud of her because she's, you know, considering we moved from South Africa. She left her dad and, you know, she's been bullied. She's gone through three moves. Yeah, it's been really hard. And obviously having ADHD, now she's that she's older, she sort of accepts it more because when you get, you know, you sort of understand it. When she was younger, you know, she used to she used to hate herself and like, I don't want to be different. Like, I don't want to have a, a brain that doesn't think like normal people, you know. I mean, she's so lucky to have you because you have so much knowledge. I mean, you've already taught me,
0: everybody who's listening, so much about what she has to go through on a daily, just using the eggs as an example, the yeah. idea that she puts that on. And for the rest of us, we would know, to crack an egg or however it works. So yes. Has she met other people who also have ADHD, would that be helpful?
1: I find now that my daughter, obviously getting older, she actually can see it in other children. And she's, you know, now able to offer that advice and give, you know, tools to kids of 10, you know, stuff like that. It's weird because it's almost like, ADHD attracts ADHD. Yes. It's just really, you know, they like it's as if they get along better because they understand each other. Yeah, so it is. It is quite interesting, but it has had. Uh, we have had a lot of challenges, and also not only because she's got the ADHD, she's got separation anxiety. Talk, talk to me about that when she was young, like six, seven eight when we moved over here, she was fine like she she used to go to sleepovers you know she um she would leave me and go to people and then it just it just really really got bad and I, and I don't know if something you know triggered it and it could also be because you know we moved over here I'm on my own it's just the two of us you know we had no one and I think she was always worried and she still is I have to text her like where I am and do you worry about her do you text her no, I don't actually. Um, Obviously, when she goes to school and when she goes out and stuff, I don't constantly call her and stuff because she needs to obviously know to, to to grow up, you know, to actually, this is what life is about. Um, Obviously, a few years ago, as I was saying, I was in a really bad place. Her separation anxiety got so bad that she didn't want to go to school. If it was raining or a storm, she didn't want to go to school and leave me. So she's had some CBT. She's managed to sort of come quite a far away and we've yeah. dealt with it. But she still is... Uh, struggling with separation anxiety. So if Um, you said
0: to her, look, I'm going out with friends tonight and I'm going to leave you with, I don't know, a
1: a great babysitter or, or a friend of hers, how would she cope with that? She wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, she'd literally throw a massive, she'd have a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, so she can't, I mean, she can't do sleepovers. She really, really battles. Um, That's something we're working towards is getting her to go for a sleepover. So could you have dinner with friends? Before I couldn't because she'd be phoning me. Where are you? Are you done yet? Like I said, it has improved, you know, yeah. so we, we're obviously walking forward because getting to the age of 15, 16 next year, you know, you think this is what they do, but she's different. And I don't put, you know, I try not to put pressure on yeah. her. Because I, I don't want to, you know, when you push someone too much, then, of course, you know, she'll just like go crazy. So I just, you know, I just say to her, you know, you need to work on it. You know, it is heartbreaking because she really wants to. yeah, But she, she finds it really hard. I never used to go out. Yeah. I never had a social life. And hence, that's why three years ago, you know, I was drinking a lot and I was smoking and I was just really in a bad place. So I had to pull myself out of that place and realize that, you know, that's not going to help me obviously be. A good good mum and, and be there for her. So You I seem had to... like a
0: brilliant mum and you seem like a brilliant team. What's the one thing? If you could just distill it to the one thing, when you leave here, what would you like to have?
1: And just how, you know, I can support her emotionally and mentally with me being on my own as a single parent, you know, because it's like I need top up, I don't have that input and support yeah. to support her in her you know, going journey. forward. In her journey, you know, because it's like a transition. So, you know, how do I yeah. support her with that?
0: OK. Well, you've come to the best place because Tanya will come in now. Thank you so much for coming Thank in. Thank you. I'll see you at the end.
1: OK. Hello. Hi. Hi. Nice, to nice
2: to meet you. too. It was really interesting listening to you with Claude... Um, Oh you get it, don't you? She's lucky to have it. I mean I agree with Claude, she's lucky to have you as your her mum. Yeah, I think I'm lucky to have her as a daughter too. <laughs> yeah. But I just wondered whether it'd be helpful for us just to start with ADHD. How have you kind of grown to understand it? So I think I was in a little bit of denial because her
1: dad has, well, he's got ADHD and he took Ritalin at school um, at a young age. And I do know, obviously, it's mostly hereditary. You know, seven, eight, nine, it wasn't great. Like, you know, the school was calling me every day. and
2: With what sorts of things?
1: Well, she didn't sit still in school, in class. Um, she was like really uh, going into a lot of like tantrums. And I knew that that was not normal for a nine-year-old. So I had to obviously go down the route of having her assessed and stuff like that you know and we had to uh, put her on medication and it helped her Mm -hmm. for so many years how so at school concentration the you know the the memory the um impulsiveness I didn't get a call every day
2: Mm -hmm. and she's not taking medication now
1: because she's got really bad anxiety we, when we went to go get the medication, the pharmacist brought out this long list of side effects and he started reading, Oh, yeah, yeah, this could happen and this is a risk. And then she, as soon as she heard that, she's like, I'm not taking it.
2: She's got to do what's right for her, but it's worth thinking a little bit about medication and thinking whether there would be something that would work for her because obviously she's got her GCSEs coming up. So, what we've uh, the school's going to do is they're actually going to assess her every single teacher
1: while she works, they're going to focus on the points of concentration, memory, her
2: homework. It's it's So really like zone in. I can just see you are her advocate every single step of the way. But presumably, it must have made you very attached and almost enmeshed with each other. And there is anxiety as well and separation anxiety. And you've had issues with anxiety. So she's obviously somewhere in there, she's got a bit of that from you. Tell me a little bit about that. I I have had anxiety,
1: and so has my my mom. I've been for CBT, so my anxiety has decreased. I had we had a very traumatic experience about two years ago, where we sadly witnessed um, a friend of mine's baby pass away, and I saw the baby pass away, and that like really triggered my anxiety. And How I, did that I, happen? So we, she passed away with cot death and she was oh, only a dear. month old and we happened just to sleep over at this friend's house and we woke up in the morning and she told me that the baby's dead and we walked up and my daughter luckily and her kids didn't see anything. Luckily, they were in, asleep in the room But, and that just had like, triggered my anxiety and I couldn't go on trains. I was just so anxious all the time. So I've had to go back and deal with it. In terms of her, like, I've always tried to not hide my anxiety, but I always try not get anxious in front of her because I know, like, it rubs off. But
2: it's so weird because we can actually sense each other's anxiety. That's, like, really how... Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and also having a child from a very young age where the school would be calling "Oh, hello, just to say, that's going to trigger you. Often, you must have felt very stressed yeah. and anxious, you know, in those early years. But it sounds like you've done a lot of work to to manage that.
1: Yeah, and did I, you
2: say your mum struggles with anxiety? She,
1: my mum's passed away, so she passed away
2: when I was twenty-two. So, right, and my well. dad passed away when I was nine. So, so separation for you and loss, and your mum. Dying when you were twenty-two, yeah. your dad when you were nine, your friends' baby. I mean, I've had a lot. So you've I've, had a lot, and it's interesting that you're seeing separation anxiety with your daughter. You, you, we start to see these sort of overlapping narratives, don't we? Where um, does it take you now as you're talking about it? Because you've changed, your face has changed. You're yeah, I tearing think with my with my parents, like yeah. I think at the age of nine,
1: when I lost my father, he was like my life. You know, I I idolized him, although he was. He was a terrible dad. He was very abusive and stuff like that. But I idolise him as In a what father. Way was he abusive? So he used to hit my mom. Like he used to beat my mom and stuff the like that. domestic violence. Yeah, and he was an alcoholic. So yeah. right. But he never used to hit me. I was like his,
2: his brown eyed girl. How do you how do you rationalise that? It must be very difficult because on the one hand he adored you, and on the other hand, he was abusive to your mother. I mean, it's a very difficult rationalisation for you. You know, he obviously did try to be a good dad and when,
1: when he used to um, be abused towards my mum, he was usually drunk. I don't know why he did it. You know, I think maybe he had a tough life and he didn't know how to necessarily deal, cope with his inside, the way he felt. So you're and very, maybe you're very f-
2: forgiving actually, aren't you, for, for someone who is obviously yeah. an abuser. I'm curious that you're now not with... Uh, Chanel's biological father yeah. they? why did that fall so apart so
1: he was actually I mean he's actually well he was a really really great Um, dad while we were together so I think the reason why we split up is, is he his parents were very in- involved with our life Um, We argued a lot and his parents were very, very trying to control of how, you know, how to raise um, Chanel. And the one day I must say, and this probably was the final straw, is he also drank and he pushed me. Like not major, we were just having an argument. He pushed me and I said, that's it. Because I basically made a vow that I would never, ever allow any man to treat me or my family like what my dad. And I also said that my daughter would always come first. In my life, because sadly, my mom, you know, after my father passed away, she was just with men and boys and stuff like that. So that was like her priority. So we were sort of like left to our own devices.
2: So I'm just sort of thinking as you're talking, we have a situation now where you're sort of very aware that your your own child is at that kind of transitional point in her life where she's becoming a young adult and she's over-attached to you, you then had this kind of childhood where attachment was, on the one hand with your father, kind of excessively loving, on the other hand, his behaviour towards your mother was brutal. So that's going to make attachment very anxious for you. Yeah. You then meet a man who... I dint of his parents there was a kind of level of over attachment claustrophobia something that you struggle with yeah. so it's interesting that something about relationships and attachment is quite challenging for you and 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 you've you've landed up just kind of you and your daughter as a unit yeah not that I asked
1: for it to be honest like I think I gave up the the whole trying to find and dating and stuff like that to have a bit of an easier life because it was so hard with her. Because I did have a boyfriend a while back, and it wasn't, it did not go well. We I talked about him like sleeping over. Eventually, she said like, no, he's not sleeping over. So yeah, definitely not wanting to share me at all. So that had. gives
2: her a lot of power and control in a way that isn't healthy. Yes. Why didn't you push back harder?
1: I think I just didn't want to fight. I just thought, you know what, I and. Also, I don't think I liked the guy. loved him enough to actually fight for it. Um, It's a lot of work dating.
2: (laughs) But do you think it's maybe part of the problem is that you've put your needs on hold to the degree that she's your daughter, she's your mate, she's almost like your partner in a way. It's just you and her. So that's actually problematic for her in terms of how she makes this next step forward in her life. How does she leave you? So... I just wonder whether, by sort of not wanting her to get anxious and upset, you've to some degree been a bit complicit in the separation anxiety. Yes, we
1: are. Like, we are like partners. Like, someone even commented, like, we're like an old married couple.
2: Mm. And I'm like, yeah, we laugh about it, but actually... You know, yeah. you look really uncomfortable when you tell me that. What, yeah, yeah because... Actually, someone, you look a bit upset that someone... What, she, what's upset you about that? Because I I, mean, think, but, I I get it, yeah. Yeah, because, you know,
1: like I'm having to really try and do it. And I mean, she has improved like 100%. You know, she wouldn't. I couldn't even go to the toilet on my own a few years ago. Like literally, I'm looking at where we've got to go to, where we've got to get to. Mm. up there Mm. and I'm looking at where we've come from. It is going to take hard work and it is going to, you know, probably be quite hurtful.
0: I found it so interesting, so I'm just going to stop it there because Lydia was obviously upset Because somebody had called her and her daughter, Chanel, an old married couple.
2: Yes, um, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because I guess what she was describing is somebody else's perception of their relationship as being almost over-attached. You have to be a parent and not a friend, don't you? But but we want them to like us. That's when it's tricky. It's not helpful at all. Absolutely not helpful at all. But then when you have a child who has a neurodevelopmental difference that is going to make life more challenging for them and school and relationships, more challenging for them, you're going to be extremely protective. Then if you're a single parent and it's just you and your only single child, you become extremely kind of close and and almost enmeshed with each other. That's when the boundaries in the relationship get blurred. And I think at this moment, here she is with her 15 year old, really struggling to know how to move Her daughter on but actually how to move herself on in the relationship because they are so tightly enmeshed and there is so much anxiety around the relationship okay
0: thank you for explaining that back to the session
2: what are you the most worried about when when you contemplate this because this feels like a big transitional point for you and her. Her getting upset about decisions I make. <laughs> and why why shouldn't she get upset? I mean, listen, we don't want to upset our kids. Yeah, but well, but, but, but why shouldn't she get upset? How can we parent our children without them being upset sometimes? I I just think although like I'm a really strong, hard, like really
1: resilient woman, I'm like got a really soft heart, and I just I don't know I just don't
2: like seeing her upset. You know, Maybe in a little way I I look at her and I think back to how I used to. So that's it. You've nailed it. I mean, it's called projective identification. It's when the response we get from our children, it just kind of hits something within us and then all those feelings from a time before in our own lives come back. So we're kind of, what am I doing? Am I responding to the pain that I'm feeling for my child or am I responding to my own pain? The problem there is you are a resilient woman. But your daughter lacks resilience, yeah, no that honestly that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not criticizing you, I want to say again, and I know Claude said this at the outset, she is so lucky to have you, but I think your own childhood, your dad's your mother then multiple partners, over-attachment. That's confusing for you. You have your beautiful daughter. You literally, I can see, you'd take a bullet for her in a heartbeat. <laughs> she then has a neurodevelopmental condition, makes you very protective of her, makes you very anxious. And as I sit and think about all that, I see that you have been so protective of Chanel. To some degree, the anxiety that she would feel anyway alongside her ADHD is even greater because it's triggered yours and it's made you kind of close down around her and that has made life a bit more challenging for her Mm -hmm. in terms of her own relationships and getting on as she should be as a Mm 15-year-old.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah
2: Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. You look a little bit shell shocked.
1: No, no, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about um
2: everything that you said. It's actually so true. And also let's just think about so you go out on a date. What's the worst case scenario if yeah, you were to do that? that? that probably
1: is. I mean, she has just like I said, she's improved loads. I mean, you know, worst case would probably be yes, yeah, she'll call me and and maybe cry and say, Oh, come home. And when she's calling you a lot, why do you pick up? Do you know what she does the find my iPhone if she if I don't pick up? Because she goes into this panic because she doesn't know where I am or she can't get hold of me. So she goes into full
2: panic mode. If your kid panics, has a massive tantrum, goes on to find your iPhone and everything will still be all right tomorrow, she'll be grumpy with you, but, you know, life goes on. I'm just trying to imagine how her partner, her future partner, is going to cope with a possessive, anxious, over-controlling part of her if that is what she is learning in a close relationship.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, well, it's just like, would she be like that? I don't know if it's just because
2: it's me, you know, I don't know, just because it's me. You you? are her primary attachment. Okay, So that the primary attachment relationship is going to set a blueprint to some degree, isn't it? In terms of how how we have relationships moving on. And it feels like the attachment is anxious on both sides. You said earlier, and it was really interesting when you said, but it's really only just with me. There's something about your mother-daughter relationship that is very regressed. It's like she becomes a five-year-old again. And it's something about how you can push that relationship into much more of a mother-teenage-daughter that upsets
1: Stress, you. Strategy starts right now. <laughs>
2: but sit with how that makes you feel. I'm trying to understand how that makes you feel yeah. in terms of the avoid. You are avoiding pushing her, yeah. really pushing her. I mean,
1: it makes me obviously feel sad. It makes me feel scared. What are you scared of? Like, I guess the unknown is like how how it's going to you know how it's going to affect me, how I'm going to feel. Um, Tell
2: me about the tears that are coming. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I feel just really... Talk to me, tell me, because if we can understand this, I think you can free yourself up to be able to mother her in the way that you are so more than capable of doing. But I feel like you're frozen, you're afraid to yeah. enable her to move on. What? Th- w- tell me about the tears. I don't actually know, it's like so weird, I'm just getting really emotional. It's, like, um... it's not weird, darling, it's just normal. <laughs> you're talking about the greatest love of your life. yeah.
1: I don't know. Maybe the loss. Maybe I'm thinking I'm going to lose her. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Probably. Sorry. Sorry, don't. I mean, there's one thing that I haven't actually. um, Sorry.
2: (laughs) It's all right. Just cry, (laughs) darling. It's fine. There's one thing you haven't told me. Yeah,
1: so I just want because maybe it will bring maybe a little bit more perspective too, as to why um, I maybe am going you know, to feel this way of loss, and it makes a lot of sense because like lost my parents, lost uh, my obviously my partner, you know, and then also um, I had another child um, when I was sixteen, right, and I gave her up for adoption. Oh wow! Yeah, so tell me about this. So, um, daughter, yeah, so name? Jen. Jen. Yeah, so she's actually in the UK at the moment. So it was an open adoption. I felt me when I was 16. And then, yeah, I gave up for adoption and it was open. So I kept in contact through all the years with her adoptive parents. She later on found me on Facebook. And in 2012, biological daughter Jen contacted me. And asked, you know, if if we wanted to meet. So met her and she invited us to her wedding. So So how old was she then? 19 or 20, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so we went to her wedding and like I read a poem at her her wedding. My gosh, that's amazing. And she's now pregnant, so I'm going to be a grandmother. Wow. A biological grandmother. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so that's like the nice part of it, but obviously having to go through that and giving her up. For adoption i think it was also, also like something that i you know a form of loss huge form of loss like obviously talking to you
2: you realize okay it's really making you cry <laughs> you have had a lot of loss and i'm trying to imagine how it would have felt when you gave birth to jen presumably you held her and then you had to give her over yeah so i wasn't
1: actually allowed to hold her that was the rule. Rules. You're not you allowed. You were
2: not allowed. No, to hold
1: you're them. not allowed to hold them when you give when you give them up for adoption. So you basically give birth and they take them away.
2: What did that feel like?
1: The nurse sneakily brought her to me and let wow. me hold her. <laughs> oh wow! So I held her. And what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was it was yeah, it was it was amazing. But I knew that she wasn't going to be mine, so. And I I went to say goodbye to her, like, because she was in the incubator and I had to go say goodbye to her. That's
2: a huge loss.
1: It is. And then obviously, you know, I've um, got Chanel. So I am very obviously protective over her because of that.
2: Absolutely. You're smart. You get it. But also then, when your friend lost her baby to a cot death, I mean, gosh, I mean, it's just like... That that was... No wonder it spun you into anxiety 101. I mean, you literally... We can understand now. It just completely ripped open all of that. It did,
1: and and like I used to, I couldn't sleep. Like I used to wake up at night, um, checking if Chanel was still breathing. So I think, well, you know, maybe it did bring out more separation, you know, the separation anxiety. And, sure, you, you know, held because, on to her tight, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, because, because it's like this, you know, reality of seeing a, a I know, it's very frank, a dead
2: baby. But also the raw grief of that mother, your friend. Yeah. Her grief must yeah. have been. Yeah, because it wasn't, it was horrendous. Something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. I no. mean, losing a child just kind of, it sits yeah. outside anything that. Yeah. So... Thank you for telling me about Jen. I think that was incredibly insightful of you because it's interesting. Just before you told me about Jen, I said to you, it just feels like with you at this point in your mothering moment with your daughter, your beautiful Chanel, you're very all or nothing. It's either I have her, she's with me, and then it's she's gone. It's very black and white. And I can understand why, you know? you're struggling to know how you can help her transition through this really important separation from you without it becoming nothing. Yeah. And, of course, it won't be nothing because you and her have an incredible bond. But I would say to you that her separation anxiety and some of the social stuff that she might be struggling with is a really important communication to you as a mother, which is... You need to help her make this next step, however painful it is for her and you in the process. But even as I say that to you, I can see the tears back because I think you know this, but you are terrified. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Because it's like, you know, you think, oh, you going to do the right thing. I have no doubt you will. I think the challenge Is to think about her separation anxiety and your separation anxiety. I mean, it's one and the same thing. So, in order to help her with hers, my question to you for you to think about in our break is how can I help you with yours? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Is that all right? Yeah.
0: Right, it's back to us. It's me, Claude, with tone. We're just
2: doing our halfway sum up.
0: What is ADHD?
2: So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental difference. Sort of people with ADHD are neuroatypical. So it's kind of like you're wired a bit differently. Um, It affects about 5% of children, about 3% of adults in the UK. And it's about how your brain is wired in terms of neurotransmission. So it's how impulses are managed through different neural pathways. It's to do with the chemicals that are involved in terms of how we think and feel and process information. So you are born with this? Yeah, well, it's the most highly inheritable neurodevelopmental condition,
0: yeah. So for somebody who has ADHD, how do they process things differently?
2: The chemicals that are involved in motivation, emotional responses impulse control and things like that so children with adhd or add so the h is hyperactivity some yeah. children aren't hyperactive and kind of running around the environment and can't sit still but they will still have a similar um set of issues in terms of 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 brain function. So these children struggle to sit still, motive, uh, motivation, concentration, focus, those sorts of things become really difficult. Executive function is a real issue. So that's how your brain coordinates all the different uh, abilities that you have. It's a bit like the conductor in an orchestra. It's a bit like you've got an orchestra with lots of great instruments in it. So you're bright, you know, the orchestra is capable of playing an amazing and amazing symphony but it's the conductor that keeps popping in and out of the room so these children often struggle not just with focus and concentration but then getting stuff out of their brain onto the page is really difficult because they need working memory they need to be able to organize their thoughts they need to be able to land their thoughts and that can become really really challenging and it's to do with how this part of the brain these pathways are are working effectively if you think about I'll, I'll give you another way of thinking about it claude if you think about the first car you bought an old yeah. banger
0: yeah yeah
2: right so you drive up to pick up some girlfriends you're going out whatever if you're sitting outside and the car is still on but it's idling the engine's not going to just keep idling you're going to have to keep putting your foot on the accelerator it's an old banger and the car will conk out unless you keep injecting petrol through the engine by Hitting the accelerator. So with kids with ADHD, it's a bit like, and adults, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like if my internal stimulation system isn't working efficiently, if my motor isn't just running efficiently, I will get distracted. I will have to look at other things. If things don't interest me, I won't concentrate on them. Other things, I'll daydream. I'll suddenly look out the window. I'll chat to my friend at the back of the classroom because I've got to keep banging stimulation through my brain to keep the engine running.
0: And we're doing children then a disservice if we're under-diagnosing them because at school, I imagine, then they fall behind.
2: Fall behind massively. And also the education system isn't designed for children who learn in this kind of way. So you imagine being this child in a classroom where there are many, many distractions and there are many, many things going on and you're in a subject that you really don't care about, you're just going to be drifting off and kind of just losing focus. You know, some kids get themselves noticed because they will start to act out and be disruptive. Others just underperform. So we've got this kind of huge numbers of children and young people who are so bright, have so much capacity, intelligence, lots of creativity. People with ADHD can think outside the box because, you know, their brain will go in all over the place. They're often very funny because they can just make all these connections. And it's just kind of dampened down and the children just start to think that they're not very smart.
0: If people are listening to this, it was so fascinating that Lydia was mentioning tantrums and all kinds of things. If people are thinking, well, maybe my child has it. Are there flags, are there signposts for parents that they can go, oh, maybe this is what's going on?
2: The other bit of it is also the behavioural bit and the emotional bit, so lots of emotionality, you know, uh, it's very difficult for these children to emotionally regulate um, quite l- high levels of anxiety. But the anxiety can also be linked to just getting lots of negative feedback, could try harder, could do better. You know, you get these kids down one to one. They're fine. What also confuses people is these kids, adults show something called hyperfocus. So there are some things where they will be so hyper focused. So mm-hmm. lots of parents will come to me and go, God, can't do 10 minutes of homework, can do eight hours of video gaming. Yes. But, you know, when you look at that, so, for example, the gaming scenario with the with these kids, gaming is instant reward. Dopamine hits to your brain. You know, you're playing, you're focusing on something, you're good at it. That is giving your system what yes. it's lacking. You know, it's just kind of banging Going in. Going back to the old
0: banger again. Then 100%. that suddenly makes sense.
2: You're pressing the accelerator and it's all kind of flowing through. So the medication would be... Um, either stimulant medication, which is targeting dopamine, or non stimulant medication, which is targeting norepinephrine. So these are the two neurochemicals. So it's not like we're narcotizing children. Yeah. It's like we're giving children what their brain isn't functioning well enough with. And you see, it's transformational for these kids. It's transformational.
0: That book was incredibly moving when the tears came because you turned to her and said, I think actually you're here so that I can help you let her go. And she couldn't stop crying.
2: It's also interesting, I suppose, when we think about her story with Jen. Yeah. Because um,
0: how old was she when Jen? 16. She was 16 when she had Jen, which is just a year older than Chanel is now.
2: So that's interesting isn't it? Yeah. So you know that is a was a major transitional point in her life. It must have been painful. Did your heart break when she said Heartbreak. about the nurse sneaking yeah. her coming back baby in?
0: And then you oh. said what was that like holding her and she said well I knew I couldn't keep her.
2: So now she's got a, you know she's got one she can keep. Yeah. So the thought of having to enable her to leave her, because yes. our job as parents is to enable our children to leave us, right? Don't say that. I know, Claude, I know you don't like it, but if I say it enough, hopefully I'll help you get your head around it eventually. <laughs> but gosh, when, when she's... Oh, that story with the nurse. I know. I, I just... You know, I've been doing this job for years and I obviously I care and I, I, I really feel it, but there are sometimes people say things and you... Yeah. And that just... I don't know, I could feel the tears in my eyes. I just Me too. Feel... I
0: mean we were we, I'm in a totally separate room, obviously, and we we were dumbstruck by that. Because she'd talked to you for a while, she'd talked about loss, and then just at the last minute she just th- threw a bomb in. And you go, Well, no one I also wouldn't let my fifteen year old go anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, I know. Okay, thanks, Tan. Let's go back to the session.
1: like the nail I didn't expect it to to go down like the route of actually really finding out what I sort of need to deal with
2: which is which is quite like mind-blowing okay so I've blown your mind yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've blown a lot of people's mind but yeah (laughs) I hope in a helpful way and I I think what we need to do is just think right well where do we take it yeah so I,
1: I obviously want to help her through from now Become that resilient, independent young woman that she needs to be.
2: When you came, you gave your phone to Selena, who's our lovely producer, yeah. and um, and you know Chanel's been messaging you while yeah. we were talking. She, I saw the message. Yeah, and just lovely, sort of okay, mum, with hearts and that sort of stuff. But it's just interesting, isn't it, that maybe she also recognises your separation anxiety. She's she's checking in on you. Yeah. So sometimes kids struggle to leave us because they're worried to leave us. She might struggle a little bit because she's used to having you on her own, but she'll get over it. But the point is she needs to be able to leave you and the best way for her to leave you is to know that you have a life and relationships and emotional input from people that other than her. Otherwise, she'll always be. You okay, mum?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the socialising scene is out there. I haven't been to like a... A pub and a, you know, like adult, just
2: adulting, like properly for ages. She needs to know that you're doing that. Then she can engage much more with her life away from you because she isn't going to be worried that you're sat alone at home on the sofa watching movies. <laughs> it's as much her response to your separation anxiety as your response to hers. Yeah. What can you take from our meeting to help you really enable your daughter to move into becoming an independent adult? I need to put, obviously, like
1: boundaries in place. Yeah, and, you really
2: do. Um, She's and not going to like it to no, begin
1: with. I need to approach it differently, you know, because when you, you know, talk to teenagers, oh, we're going to have the talk now, then
2: they're like already squirming. And the, car and is, the car was always a good place car journeys. Yeah. No one's so, looking at each other. We're all looking out the window. How do I have the talk
1: with her? How what do is the I talk?
2: Imag- Tell me what the talk is. What do you want to say? So,
1: you know, in order for her to become the independent young woman, you know, she, that wants to travel the world and go to Australia and live her life, obviously I will, you know, still living my life, is is to be able to put things in place where we do spend more time apart. Whether that's, you know, her going more to her friend, whether me that's arranging, because I've got a really good friend, um, also a single mom, and we just want to go out, like we want to go to the speed dating. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. The thing with the bell and the three minutes. Yeah, and the... I've, it's oh, something wow. that I've always wanted to do. So why aren't you doing it?
1: You know, it's not priority, but I think I need to shift my
2: priorities. Yes, because, look, I do agree, conversation is really important. My feedback to you is be careful that you, you're not having this conversation to get her to give you permission. I think you, if you're going to say it, you need to say it. She might say, you know, up yours, mum, that ain't happening, whatevs, and slam her door. And in your head you have to think whatevs back because it is and it has to, oh, it right? Help. But I'd also say show, don't tell. Go speed dating. Yeah, just do it, yeah. I'm... Just do it. And you know, if she's home with the lady that comes and sits with her when you're out, and she's safe and fine, switch your phone off. God, you looked a bit scared when I, I said that. You literally <laughs> looked like I just said, "Push her off the cliff." You just looked at me like I was had lost my mind. I was. I like.
1: I, I don't know if I'm ready to literally put my phone off. You I went on and sir, silent, and I went or, on silent.
2: What you can do? Some people who I work with in these kinds of contexts, they three hours or four hours that they're away from the kid that calls and calls and calls and calls and calls. They block their number, but they leave their phone on if anybody who's with their kid wants to call and say, hey, this has happened, that has happened. So you don't feel like you're just kind of cutting off all contact. Yeah. But you're like, okay, I love you, but I literally don't want to hear from you in the next I mean, how can you speed date, look at a guy and think, hmm how do I feel about us taking each other's clothes off? If you're also looking at your phone and she's going, Mum, Mum, I miss you, I miss you. I mean, this is just like not going to happen, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, it's almost like you think she could be sort of in huge life-threatening danger at any moment in her life, so you have to be constantly on call. I'm like living in that, in that past where she,
1: through a, a major like having a panic and she's like in tears and I'm like I just don't want to relive
2: that again. Again, it's just coming back to that, that feeling and we okay. like. But if she did have a panic and she was in tears and then she calmed down and she came home and she was furious with you and she got angry and you said don't talk to me like that, you know. And if you're going to talk to me like that, I'm going to go out and you calm down and whatever. And then you set some boundaries. What would be so detrimentally tragic about that experience for her? Nothing actually
1: if you think about it, nothing. She'd just actually learn hundred percent honestly, like i yeah i'm I'm well up for it too because I, I know I need to do it like you said, you know if I you and seem I want to by our conversation. Yeah, it has been hugely helpful. I think I needed
2: um like almost the confirmation. I think you just needed me to give you permission. Yeah. My summary to you would be for your daughter to be a fully functioning, sort of resilient, emotionally kind of intelligent young woman, her mother needs to be as well. And you are, but you do not have any independence really apart from the stuff you do when you're not around your daughter. So for her to understand that the relationship between you and her is going to be fantastic even if you're not so much in each other's pockets and you have another partner and she gets a boyfriend eventually or does whatever, for her to understand that, you be her role model. You do it first. Yeah. I don't mean just, I'm not saying just get a boyfriend, but what I'm saying is for her to separate from you, you've got to show her how it's done. Yeah, yeah. And if she doesn't like it... That's okay because it's a change and she's so used to being so enmeshed with you but you're never going to leave her, you're always going to love her but don't need her validation. Don't look for that because that's not going to happen at the moment. (laughs) Just know in your gut that this is an issue that has to be dealt with now with a combination of conversation, support, nurture tough love and boundaries and just know that this is an important bit of parenting that you are going to get right but it might be a bit tricky along the way Yeah, 100% Thank you, yeah, it's really amazing
0: It felt momentous to me just listening and I don't know if that's strange, only because when you came in, your question was
1: Going that way, I know, <laughs> and it seems that something else happened. I know how crazy is that. How yeah. do you feel? I feel empowered. I feel um, very emotional. I feel relieved, and I do feel very enlightened. And it totally turned out to be what I actually exactly needed. Yeah. To hear. Do you feel excited about it, or quite I nervous? I do. No, I feel excited. So since... this is what I'm going to ask okay. you to do.
0: All right. But it's quite dramatic.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: the thing you're wearing on your wrist.
1: This one. What is yes. this? Oh it's my it's my fit, but it's like my watch, but And messages come in for the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Right, you see? What are we gonna do about that? It is so it is a little bit tricky because I'm like thinking, what if what if the school does need to get hold of me? Yeah, they can leave yeah, they'll a message here. Yeah, like, yeah. They'll get hold of you. Yeah,
0: they will. But you can say to her in a totally relaxed way, I love you, I'm doing a tiny bit of work on this place, there's hardly yeah. any Wi Fi.
1: I'll do that and say there's hardly any Wi-Fi. So you don't have to have a big conversation about
0: separation or a big, I don't know, I have a 16-year-old. The minute I want to sit down with him and talk to him about why he won't read a book or uh, (laughs) do his homework properly or whatever it is, it becomes a hoo-ha. If I just get on with it, if I go, oh, I've done this because I'm evil, I've done the telly doesn't work, do you know? And I literally put the remote control in the freezer. Can I just suggest anybody's listening? Don't do that because <laughs> it really does break. But oh, and then they go, oh right. Well, maybe I'll pick up a book yeah. then. Maybe this is too much information. Somebody told me to swim once because it would be good for my head, because there's no tech. Because it's just you. You were talking about doing something just for you.
1: Yeah.
0: And you can't wear that in the water. Your no. buzzing wrist, which sends messages. Yeah, all the that's
1: time. a good idea. Swimming. I do. I, I train, so I jump. But then, yes, obviously, but you're that, wearing it. No, no. Yeah, it I need you my heart submerged. Throat, so. Yeah, underwater. Good idea. Promise. Another promise. And by the yeah, way, I it's the
0: mo- it. you are a brilliant human being. It's the most understandable thing in the world. And she's lucky to have you. You're lucky to have her. You are a team, whatever. Even if you've got four boyfriends, can I suggest <laughs> one, one to begin with. And even if she's going off going, Mum, we're all going to Edinburgh for the weekend. Don't panic. She'll yeah. be fine. She comes back on yeah. Sunday. I speak to my mum every day and I'm 47. So yeah. they don't leave you.
1: Yeah, they stick. It's they just stick. getting through. It's like we're here now and there's that journey and it's like going to be a little bit of a mountain to get to. But you can do it. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for coming Thank you in. so much. I really appreciate it and thank so you for having you've me. you it off. Yeah, half in the back. Half an hour, <laughs> just half an hour
0: and every day more. What I loved is, as we were cuddling her and as she was leaving, and I'd been a bit bossy about her phone strap that umbilical she wears. Umbilical
2: cord. It's like you, you cut a bit of the umbilical cord there. Now I thought that was really brilliant. That's what I love about you, Claude. You know, you just kind of succinctly say, OK, here's something that represents what we've been talking about. How about you try this? I thought that was a brilliant intervention. And I could just see it on her wrist. But anyway, as and she did take it off, and then
0: she went and grabbed her phone, that our lovely producer had been looking after, and it said two missed calls. And we both looked at her and she went, I'm not calling straight back. I hope that she will make
2: changes. But it'll be hard. It's clear that Lydia has put so much of her own life on hold and she needs to be brave and kind of step out a bit more for herself as an independent adult. I think often we show rather than tell, and that's the most effective way of helping our children understand things. Okay. should we go and have a lie down? Oh, just yes. Quite fancy a bit of speed dating,
0: though, don't you? I'm joking. Come on. And if you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email parenting at something else.com. That's parenting at something without a G else.com. Next time we meet Natasha,
2: why am I concerned for you enough to raise it? Maybe just because eventually it's going to come to the surface. But it does come to the surface. You have flashbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my sense is when those flashbacks hit you, they literally take your breath away. This podcast was possible with the help of the following people at
0: Something Else. The sound engineer is Gulliver Tickle. You're right, it's an excellent name. The mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer is Hannah Talbot. The producer is Selina Ream. And the executive producer is Chris Skinner. With additional production from Steve Ackerman.
2: also from something else Katie Piper's Extraordinary People Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity with guests including Fern Cotton And what about when you get really lazy journalism so like people that draw just one line they take it out of context and that's really sad because It is it is
0: I've also been on the receiving end of it so mm. so many times sometimes to really tragic levels for me, where I've really not felt able to cope with it.
2: Yeah. Zoe Sug and Nadia Hussein. I think the, the thing of women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And and I think there's a lot of that. And I think that's why just it, it's really hard sometimes because it, 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 in the last four years I've changed so much. Mm. Listen now in Apple Podcasts. Spotify and all good podcast apps.